Chessmith. It is the grid for March 1st. 2024 welcome back to the show how quick is this year going david lee scales we're already into basically spring at this point yeah it's wild i don't like it no time moving too fast it just seems like yesterday that we were all what getting ready for pipe which feels very wintry and now we're i guess theoretically getting ready for portugal which don't you know who i have to blame for this? Philippe Toledo. My wife. Oh, her too. Well, because she puts things on the calendar. It's like yeah. we start off the year, clean slate, and then all of a sudden she's like, hey, by the way, we have dinner on Saturday with so-and-so. I'm like, what? Like we just had New Year's? Do we need to see people already? Yeah, and by the way, then we're going to San Diego the following weekend, and then when we get back, we need to go see Bubba. And I'm just like, what? Like if I have little baby step things on the calendar, it's only three days until that, which means there's no time until that. And then once that's over, there's another couple of days until, and then all of a sudden January's over. And and then all of a sudden it's summer. And then all of a sudden little Austin is at college. Yeah. It's, I exactly. mean, that's, it's, you're exactly right on the slippery slope of things being planned that eat time. Because if you had nothing, if you had like a wide open prairie of nothing to do, time would move nice and slow, just so like it slow. should. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I need to eliminate. But speaking of which, I literally am going to San Diego today for the weekend. And I'm going to show up at your house this afternoon with a package for you in my weekend vans. I can't wait, David Lee Scales. Are you going to camp the weekend van this weekend in San Diego? I'm not. Um, couldn't talk the wife into camping quite yet. That's a conversation for the future. But I am going to record a podcast tomorrow. So I needed the mobile studio. And I wanted to record with you, except we need time to publish this episode, which means we have to record in the morning. And I couldn't get down to you in the morning because we have family obligations here. So I'm just going to show up at your house. I don't know if you're going to be home or not, but I do have a package for you from our friends at uh, a clothing brand that we have not spoken glowingly about in the past. Here's the thing, David Lee Scales, about our job as both provocateurs, I suppose, and, and light shiners on to various surf things. It's the ones who get it, like Beach Grit launched uh, almost a decade ago now, maybe even more, I think under a decade, but uh, our, I think second or third, maybe even first story was uh, a focus group starts a surf brand, calls it Visla. Uh, just fun making Visla to no end. And who did Beach Grit five years ago do a clothing collab with? None other than Visla. Where the ones who get it, like who get the fun making and none of this is malicious. None of this is supposed to be uh, ill willed at all. Right. Where, and that's of course how it comes across. But if Felipe Toledo was bold enough, was smart enough, he would just come on the podcast and everything would fix itself. Like he would endear himself to, or whatever he would explain himself and people could still disagree and blah, 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 blah. But that's all that needs to be done is people need to face the music. We're the music, David Lee Scales. Yep, I agree. So we have a friend, the clothing brand is outer known. And uh, we have a friend within the brand probably and listeners, you know, that work for the brand or whatever. But a friend within the brand sent us a care package very kindly with a handwritten note and just saying, hey, enjoy the show. Check out the clothing. You know, we're proud of it, basically. And so uh, I'm going to drop that off for you later. That's fantastic. I can't wait, which again is we pop off. I pop off 
always half cocked, like knowing nothing. I've never owned a piece of outer known, never even, I don't think touched a piece of outer known clothing with my hands and yet feel every right and obligation to spray it with, uh, I'm not going to say negativity. I'm just going to say calling them as I see them. Right. Yeah. Crit so criticism. Criticism. And so this is great. I now get to slide on a pair of outer known pants and maybe just maybe it's going to change my world. Maybe it's nice of them regardless. So we appreciate Kinda. that. Um, but the weekend Vanda actually picked up uh, on Monday and took it for a spin, kind of a test run and interviewed super wolf famed laminator and um the van's incredible so it's a 2024 mercedes sprinter and it's a large vehicle obviously and so i had a little bit i was a little intimidated i'm just like oh you gotta you gotta watch your turns you know make sure you don't sideswipe anybody whatever the thing drives like a dream it's nicer than my car it's easier to drive than my car Obviously, it has all the benefits of a sprinter, you know, a, bit, a built out sprinter van, meaning it has a shower, um, stove, sleeps five people. So if you need what it for that world? purpose, fantastic. Sleeps five? sleeps five. How is that? I don't know. They they figure it out. They somehow add space to an already existing sprinter van. Um, it has a stove. It has a dining table. Like it has everything you need if you want it for those purposes. But I just figured it's going to sacrifice comfort or drivability, you know, because it's big. It does not. It's a dream to drive. Like I would use this as my daily driver if I had it. Man, I don't know how people, and maybe they are starting to sell their homes, buying a Sprinter and just living the good life. It's the only way to be able to afford to live in California at this exactly. point. Exactly. Mobile. There's a dude who lives in front of, I mean, there's been a series of dudes who live in front of Daughter's Ballet Studio. Oh yeah. Uh, the latest, um, who's been there a while. It feels like usually after a month or so, they... They push them on. So there was the, you know, typical kind of broken down uh, RV there for a while. Uh, now there is a uh, fruit selling truck that's been there for well over a month. Um, but it feels like, yeah, it feels like it's climate or it is climate controlled. I hear the climate control running because it's a fruit truck and dude seems like he's, yeah, happily living his best life. Would you eat fruit from that dude? He's, this dude is not selling fruit no more. This dude is living where the fruit once was. So gotcha. yeah, he's just using the climate control that controlled the fruit. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Just living um, his best life. There's nobody I, I feel sadder about than those people, to be honest, um, living out of their vehicles. I suppose there's people I should feel sadder about. But when I see somebody living out of their vehicle, I'm like, Gas is so expensive. Like sometimes they're panhandling and you're like, okay, you get some change. Gas is very expensive. The vehicle, of course, is always 20 years old and beat up. And I just think I've seen them with a flat tire. And I think what tires, tires are outrageously expensive. Yeah. I cringe when I have to buy a new tire or tires. So that person's never going to be able to afford a tire at this point. You know what I mean? Like that's so sad. The, I mean, the fruit truck dude, though, like in terms of the hierarchy, that dude has space to live. He has, I, it feels like, from what I can tell, air conditioning and heat because uh, yeah. he has his like the box, whatever the control box is outside. So I can see what he's running. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're at a seven, comfortable 72 today, sir. Good on you. If you're going to be homeless anywhere, San Diego is the place to be homeless. It's Let's true. be real. San Diego and in a climate controlled truck. Exactly. Um, well, if... Listeners are interested, 
the weekend vans thing, if you need a sprinter van, they're the, they're the spot, but also it's available for rent. I mean, so you can the... actually rent it for a couple of nights, go on a camping trip or whatever. And this is the thing too, right? Like we have all, every one of us here in Southern California in particular, but anybody who follows surf, I think around the world, definitely around the United States has not only seen the sprinter setup, but has pondered the sprinter setup, right? There's no way you think, huh, what is that like? And it is, would be a big investment just to say, well, okay, I guess I'm going to try it out, bite the bullet on the, you know, whatever it costs. The rental of this thing, and not just yeah. renting a sprinter, but renting a kitted out one by surfers for surfers, kind of like who the people at weekend vans are part of the lifestyle, we will yeah. say. So they know what you need. Uh, giving it a test run seems like the best option ever. Yeah. Of like, yeah, who wouldn't want to rent one and just say, okay, thinking about the lifestyle, let's try the lifestyle. Well, the dudes at Lamination San Diego, the LSD factory, um, they're like, God, I cringe at the thought of the van life thing, you know, and the sure. sight of the sprinter vans and the parking lot. However, it's I kind of want to get inside that thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we all have that same exact um, compulsion or whatever. So completely, it's funny. Completely. If you can't beat them, join them, David Lee Scales. Exactly. Or rent them. Rent them. Um, can't beat them, rent them. So... I've got a call about Felipe Toledo and his relationship with his father that we can start with, or would you prefer to discuss this week's vlog about surfing may or may not being the hardest sport? Let's go. Let's start with surfing be not being the hardest, uh, and then pivot to Felipe who can happily chew up the rest of our hour. <laughs> he cannot because I've got so much more show to get to. Um, but Chas Smith hates surfing. This week's episode is surfing really the hotter, hardest sport in the world? Question mark. There was interestingly, I think this past week there was not one but two different polls that had surfing ranked like wildly different. So ESPN had surfing ranked very low in terms of its relative difficulty compared to other sports. It was down, hovering between I do believe badminton and squash uh, in terms of difficulty. And then we have another poll by Puberty, I think it's called, which is such a gross name. If you're going to name your thing Puberty, Puberty, who kind of, like who thought, okay, this is the name, this is our website name, going to stick. It's going to like, nothing sounds like it. So we're good. Puberty. There we go. It's so stupid. Weird. But anyway, weird. Uh, Puberty had surfing and I can't remember what else fighting it out for top spot uh, for the most difficult. So vastly different uh vastly different takes on surfing's relative difficulty so i think puberty i haven't taken a real <laughs> deep look at puberty but i haven't pulled up the curtain on puberty and really <laughs> assessed what the growth and development of it but um i have a feeling they saw the they just kind of repurpose things, right? So they saw the ESPN article and then just made their own version of it or took some stats from that and combined it with something else. Could have, could have been. Yeah. Whoever knows in the cesspool of the internet. So what are what conclusion did you come to in your vlog? Is surfing really the hardest sport in the world? Well, I mean, here's the thing with it, right? So Kelly Slater came weighing in on the puberty one for some reason. Because like his image, I think his image was used in the okay. advertisement, so he reposted it. Okay, so Kelly came, Kelly went through puberty uh and uh 
like as Kelly does brought in, I think whatever else they were talking about went on a long, like who, like if somebody, if scientists could somehow figure out how Kelly Slater has enough time to do what he does, then lots of problems would be solved. Uh, I don't know how Kelly is both a businessman, I suppose, a professional surfer, a partner in a relationship, a, you know, on and on and on traveling uh -huh. around the world and appears to have 24 hours each day dedicated to commenting and posting on social media. The but, most prolific social media engager. Yeah. Cause how, most people, you know, if Kelly used, if they use Kelly's picture, Kelly could come on repost, maybe say, ha ha, or maybe say, you know, not that hard or maybe whatever, say something pithy. No, Kelly you, went on. A, you wouldn't, if you were Kelly, you wouldn't even see it in your feed. I no, don't have a, you know, a fraction of the followers that Kelly has, and I can't keep up with the number of tags or DMs or whatever yeah. it is. So you wouldn't it's see impossible. It. If you did see it and really thought I need to say something, it would be something quick because your time is out. Yeah. Kelly writes an essay about uh, surfing's relative difficulty compared to soccer, I do believe is what Kelly was, and whatever else. I think he mentioned ice skating. I can't remember. But anyway, all things aside, uh, is surfing difficult? I think surfing is, you know, who knows is a competitive sport, uh, but as a thing to do, yeah. I mean, I think surfing is ridiculously difficult to, it's easy to paddle out to the water and catch whitewash and stand up on a foam board. And if that's what your definition or the definition of surfing is, then surfing is easy. If the definition of surfing is being competent, uh, then I think it is ridiculously difficult, like to yeah. be competent at surfing, to catch a wave, bottom turn and do anything other than going straight. Uh, even catching a proper wave and going straight ain't, you know, you have to be doing what you have to be surfing, I think for a few months at the very least yeah. to catch a wave and a proper wave and go straight down the face. Yeah. I, for the vast majority of my life, I would have made the argument that surfing is the hardest sport in the world. Um, and I was pretty athletic growing up. I played a lot of variety of different sports. And so I feel like I had an informed, you know, opinion about surfing being the hardest, but as I've gotten older and maybe just because I have 30 years of surf experience now, um, I see it from a different lens and I see young people figuring it out very, very, very quickly. And I'm wondering if maybe my, the context, I got into it thinking it was difficult and seeing other people take a very long time to get good at it. And so I was almost just trapped in that kind of frame of reference and I would take baby steps to figure things out. But I see kids now, you know, ripping. Yeah. Ripping and then doing a flip on year two. Yeah. And then I'm, and then I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe it's not that hard actually. Like that's a, if, that's a great point. Were we, were we trapped with the power of negative thinking you and I? Yeah, I think so. Like if you kind of push aside, I mean, and to be honest, a lot of the negative thinking in my mind was all of these barriers of entry that are social, Yeah, you know, like I can't just paddle out and get a wave. I need to like check what everyone else is doing make sure i don't get in their way that is really you know? true people don't kids don't care about that anymore no. kook, the kook overrun has really wiped that out 
Did their you read dad, that? their dad will paddle them out to the peak at lowers and push them in and push them in, yeah. you know? And so it's like, oh no, I just get to go on the best wave. Yeah. And if I don't figure it out, he'll give me another one and I'll figure it out on that one. You That's know? That's really true. It's funny. I was sitting having lunch just two days ago. Uh, surf hasn't been good here, but somehow like the Cardiff reef, the standard parking lot got washed away in the last storm or whatever river rocks got pushed up on it. So there's no more parking lot. So Cardiff, and it was a crappy day. So the main Cardiff peak was basically empty, but there was like two kids out there who were like popping pretty high air reverses on every way. You know, they weren't landing them, but you know, and I don't know, maybe they were stickered up little pro upcoming groms, but I feel like I see this kind of thing a lot more often. Yeah. Of, yeah. And exactly to your point, I think, I think the barrier of, Nobody's paddling out thinking, okay, let me let me navigate the the social hierarchy of this lineup. Let me make sure to do this, that, or the other thing. People are just going these days, like yeah. as you have to. I mean, per the did you read about the California ruling? I think it's a little bit old now, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's not illegal to be a kook now. You can't, which you know, of course not. I mean, how could you police that kind of stuff anyway? Of people dropping in and whatnot. Yeah. The ruling is basically you're not held liable. If you're a kook and you kook it in front of somebody and somebody gets hurt, you're not liable. Yes, exactly. For the damages. Yes. Um, yeah. So the other kind of follow-up to that thought is I see kids now doing the things that we're talking about. It's now doable for me. Yeah. You can it's go like, kick a tail high air revo. <laughs> I haven't tried yet, but I can now <laughs> that I've seen it done. It's like the, the high jump doing it backwards instead of forward, you know, or the what was Fos it? The six minute Fosbury six minute flop is what that's called. Exactly. Do you want to explain that? Cause I feel like we haven't discussed that in years. We haven't. The Fosbury flop is really honestly one of the greatest sports innovations of all time. There yeah. was people used to high jump. Everybody knows the high jump, not pull vault, high jump. Uh, they would run straight at the bar and just jump over it. Right. Like as you would think, uh, I can't remember his first name, Pete, maybe Fosbury, uh, decided, no, I can get higher if I run and then jump and go over it backwards. The classic way you see still used today innovation right there i mean talk about innovation it is revolutionized high jumping by yeah. flipping it backwards and i think there's examples written about the six minute mile as well would it be six minutes or five minutes i think it's the five minute mile five minute yeah thank yeah you. Well, once it got broke by broken by uh who broke it again i can't believe i'm liking on this i think his name was pete was it i was for sure pete there's a lot of pete pistol pete's yeah uh but the, yeah, the five minute mile, once it was broken. A it was a mental block for runners yes. that it was just like five minutes, nobody can do five minutes. And then as soon as one person did it, boom, everybody did it. Yep. And Tony, Tony Hawk with the 900 even, you know, like there's a bunch of examples. And so I think for me, when I've seen, I surf less now than ever before, basically. When I was surfing throughout my late teens and twenties, it was every day, a couple sessions a day. And my progress was probably really slow. Now I take a week or two off, but I watch tons of surfing and I'm studying, you know, whatever. And I go back and I stir, surf probably better yeah. by having a little bit of time off, you know? And so there's something going on now. And I just, I, again, I, I don't know if it's the hardest sport in the world. It's not as hard as it used to be. And maybe other sports are also easier for the same reasons or rationale. I mean, I wonder too, like, I think the, uh, what the tools of the trade in surfing, like how much better are boards or let's yeah. say more user-friendly, right? Like yeah. the, the full move towards foam being your friend and all this kind of stuff. Like, 
shapers are now i feel more than ever shaping for the common dude like yeah. uh more than just hey man the high performance short you know rocket out paper thin shortboard is this is the pinnacle and if you're not on that thing then i don't know it's kind of screw you uh but no ever there's a board for everybody now you know and i wonder like in golf or something too if i don't golf but if club you know advancements in club technology have made hitting that you know 300 yard drive or whatever more accessible to the average for sure where you used to be you used to have to put iron directly perfectly on ball in order to get that now you can eh, so just swing that thing watch it go a hundred percent the sweet spot on the club is probably a lot bigger now than it used to be um but i in the other thing is, um, yeah, I do believe the pointy thruster was a limitation for me for a very long time. That limited my learning for a very long time. It's a hard board to learn on. So kids now, they can learn on a soft top going straight on whitewash and have no social barriers. So they learn the first step easy, but then they can watch Torn Mark. There's so many different surfers they could watch and media uh, inputs for them to download information from. So when we were young, we had fewer, you know, and so it was just harder to learn because there's fewer data points. Now they go from the soft top, they look at Torn Martin writing more foam and they go, oh, that's how you do a bottom turn. Yeah. Go out and do a bottom turn. Then they figure that out and they go, okay, well, I can size down on volume a little bit and here's how you do a top turn. And then the air reverse is not that far from that. And they can do it in a wave pool too and just dial up the section, you know? It's really so true. It's all gotten easier for sure. I mean, I wonder um, if we were if we were the most you and I and those are dear listeners of this generation X, uh, are the most hamstrung generation surfing has ever produced in terms of coming up when pointy thrust pointy potato chip rockered out thruster was the board. That was it. Uh, and you know, you'd paddle that out in wherever you were surfing. It didn't matter, Oregon, Huntington Beach, no matter where. And try to learn on the most difficult that's how we i'd learned on a pointy thruster whereas you know 60s 70s you had big old you know long boards into you know long ish boards into whatever 80s with tons of foam yeah uh and then here we go 90s uh oh thanks kelly slater yeah thanks um <clears throat> the in regard to it being the hardest sport in the world though i think there are things like rock climbing if that's considered a sport where there is a physicality required like you have to train your fingers yeah to have muscles in them and develop that over a long period of time and if you do not have that there is a limitation to how well you can you know pro progress at the sport surfing requires athleticism too but it's more of an endurance thing like you can develop the cardio for it and obviously we talked about Jimbo last week. I see surfers of all shapes and sizes thriving at it all the time. Completely. So it's, it might not be the hardest in that way. I mean, that's absolutely a great point is you can never like paddling out in the lineup. You can never suss out who's going to be the best surfer in the lineup no. by you can suss it out by how they're sitting on their board, maybe how they're paddling, how they're kind of where they're sitting, all this kind of stuff. But in terms of their physicality, you can't determine at all on that. The oldest, fattest guy there could be the biggest ripper there. Like, yeah. and you, have, never, you never do and know. And somehow has the cardio for surfing despite yeah. being overweight. 
I mean, because so surfing, let's be honest, doesn't really take cardio. Like surfing is such a, unless you're paddling out at ocean beach or those spots that are like relentless kind of walls of whitewash that you got to push through. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, surfing is physically very, very, very easy. It requires cardio, but it's a specific, once you get used to that style of cardio, and it's probably a lot of breathing breath work or breathing technique, you know, um, once you get used to it, you're fine. Yeah. You know, you might not be able to run five miles despite you, being a phenomenal surfer, but you get you used can, to that one thing. You can paddle all day long. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's get to the Felipe phone call because this actually is kind of a touches on what we have discussed in the past a little bit, but it is an important point that we haven't touched on enough. Hey, Dave Chaz, loving the show, loving the grit, um, love this Philippe Toledo train you guys are on. You're talking about something today with, you know, with regards to his father and being on the payroll and all those types of things. So if you think back in the history of surfing, how many parents back in, let's say, the 80s and even the 90s or possibly the 2000s, how many parents were so involved with their child's surfing career that they had to be on the payroll because it was now a full-time job. Um, not many that I can think of. I mean, you know, Slater, to my knowledge, didn't. Mark Richards didn't. If you think about childhood stars and their parents, it's never, or let me say, it's rarely turned out to be a good situation. I mean, let's think about Gary Coleman, you know, Corey Feldman, uh, Corey Haim, all these childhood stars whose parents either sucked them dry, or it became such a double negative relationship that it wasn't even worth it. So, you know, for his father to be stepping in and making announcements via social media, supporting his son's social media, you know, to me, it just doesn't sit well. I think his dad needs to take a step back and let Philippe be a big boy. It can be extremely toxic, and to me, it's just not worth it. So anyways, hey, guys, love the show. Keep up the work. Um Adios and aloha. Diminishing returns on parental involvement. Great, great uh, take and insight. And from what I see, you know, looking over shoulders, et cetera, the uh, athletes across the board, not just surfing. I mean, again, to his point, actors, whatever. But the athletes who have parents crazy involved, who are involved in a way where like stuff is going through them. Unless the kid is super, super young, it's always a mess. It's all from what I've seen. It's just it's either unnecessary, a hindrance uh, or uh, yeah, like or completely damaging where it's just Felipe should at this point. Come on, you're almost 30. Uh, your dad shouldn't be out there. If you want to support your dad, that's great, right? If you want to, you came up, you know, made some money. Good on you, Felipe Toledo. Buy dad a house, whatever. But do not have dad forward-facing. Do not have dad be part of the support team. You know, it is very interesting that there is, I don't know where the line is, but there is a line, a law of diminishing returns, where you want the dad to be supportive of the kid's endeavors. And the kid, like you said, at a certain point can even support the father financially or whatever else. But it 
there is a point where it becomes too toxic Yeah, where it's actually not, it's probably not good for the relationship. I don't know them personally, but it probably is not good for the relationship. And then it further is definitely not good for the advancement of the career. There's a hindrance there, you know, I mean, like look a, at, look at Gabriel a and Yeah. Look at Gabriel and Charlie Medina. Like I feel that, and that was his stepdad, of course, but same thing. I think he basically raised Gabriel and you know, that combination, the Gabriel Charlie combination led to a couple, uh, did I just get balloons? Did you give me balloons? <laughs> what was that? How did that happen? I have no, did I do You did something? something with your hands that made balloons go up on the balloons, screen. Come again. Uh, maybe it was just talking about Gabriel and Charlie Medina. It was uh, celebrating. It's one of their birthdays. Maybe. But in any case, it did. It was, it ran hot for a while that led to at least I would, or that dynamic led to at least one world title for, uh, for Gabriel. But then when the wheels came off, boy, did the wheels come off family lawsuits, all kinds of like nasty, nasty business. Yeah. And Jack Robinson is somebody who has famously navigated this, um, where his father seemed to be impeding Jack's you know, uh, professional successes and certainly interrupting relationships with sponsors and stuff like that. And so Jack actually created distance and has now thrived without him. Jack and did so it in such a great way. Cause it was never frontline news. I think there was some who published leave their names out of it, but published like unflattering portraits of Trevor, uh, uh, Jack's dad. But Jack, I never, there was no public ever break, right? Like it just, Jack continued to go on and you just, Trevor's name fell out of the news basically. Yeah. And Jack didn't ever speak disparagingly no. of, you know, which is, I think is graceful. Um, so with Felipe, that's for him to navigate on his own, but it might be related. I think it is directly related to his year off. And he said as much essentially in his communications about it. So it's an interesting, it's a real interesting detail. It sure know? is. F Felipe's though continued, uh, I'm going to say, I don't even know what it is, like cluelessness in terms of what, and again, all with the grain of salt that, of course, we sit and talk core surf talk, right? Felipe Toledo does not care very clearly about the, again, in air quotes, core surfing community and their opinions, right? If he did care about that, he would have been training at Chopu years ago and figuring it out. He would have been jumping through the hoops that would make him respectable amongst the core community. Uh, he very, very obviously and clearly does not care. But his like saying he had food poisoning and then clearly not, his uh, dropping out of the tour altogether, then his showing up in Puerto Rico and surfing the ISA World Surfing Games uh, when he said, you know, just recently that his focus was going to be, and I know he has to do that for the Olympic thing, but there seems to be no, nothing in Felipe Toledo that is pointing toward, I mean, it's not like there's a year to the Olympics, right? Felipe Toledo, if he wants this journey, if he's really taking this on and taking a year off surfing was, as he said, for the Olympics by and large, uh, then what are you doing, man? Like, yeah. we are now in March. We got March, April, May, June. You got basically four months to conquer fear and learn how to ride slabbing lefts. And you're, what are you doing? Like, yep. okay. Yep. It's not enough time. 
nope. should have been at it for a long time before this. Yeah, which again, don't really love to dance. I mean, I take that back. I love to dance on Felipe Toledo's grave. Grave, it's fun because Felipe Toledo to me is bringing all this upon himself as a uh, golem of bad Gen Z slash millennial what, behavior. Like he is the is. he is the perfect self entitled or seems to be the perfect self entitled millennial Gen Zer uh, who both wants it all, wants to whine doesn't want to do the work, all of this. So watching him thinking, okay, millennial Gen Z train wreck, like where does this end? Where does you and your dang generation put their big boy pants on and get to work? That is totally, you hit the nail on the head. That's what it feels like. I couldn't put my finger on it until you said it, but that is what it feels like. He has through the hard work of his father and whoever else around him was gifted a certain amount of talent and access to really express and develop that talent and then put a lion tattooed a lion on his chest thinking he's the baddest ass in the world and then faced a modicum of uh resistance and adversity didn't know how to m handle it and has a you know a mental emotional breakdown because of it i mean the the story that came out that I've struggled with the headline because the headline was actually that it's a mental health uh, and the, this mental health break and calling in sick for work over mental health, which is exactly what Felipe Toledo did, uh, is a problem plaguing 20 something year old girls uh, and don't want to, you know, do anything that would disparage women. Uh, and I feel that's, yeah, but Felipe as doing a, on gen z millennial wow wah, wah yeah. is like man pull it to stinking together please yeah. for the for the sake of your children do it well let's transition into a pros in the wild let's do it and and then i have a somber sobering i guess uh listener email that i'll read to you as well that'll mm. uh wrench at your heartstrings so the pros in the wild hi david and chaz i too had a John Peck pros in the wild encounter. This happened about 20 years ago at a certain Baja point break. He rolled up driving a shitty old V-dub van and parked on the hill just above our camp. I knew who he was immediately, having had the displeasure of surfing with him at trestles and church a few times. He sat in his van for a couple hours eating granola and contemplating his navel or whatever, giving us stink eye the whole time. Eventually, he suited up and walked by us on the way to paddle out. We gave him a friendly wave and he just glowered at us, mumbling to himself. We let him have the session to himself and didn't even begin to make a move to go uh, and didn't even make a move to go back out until he was headed in. He walked by my buddy who was rinsing off the dishes in the tide pools and accused him of stealing his wax off the rocks. The next day was bigger and better, and we were out there as soon as the tide had adequately dropped. As it gets bigger at this spot, the takeoff zone moves out around the point, and you have to try to negotiate a side wave wedge coming across the wave that's barreling in close proximity to a sheer rock cliff face. Well... John comes out and paddles right past us just to be deeper. Even though we had been out for a while and he and we knew the proper takeoff spot, he gets a wave right off and he's way too deep and gets blasted about 10 yards from the cliff face. 
I'm watching for him, fearing that he could have gotten injured, smacking into the rocks. He finally pops up and he's within touching distance of the cliff. I yell to him, are you okay? Do you need help? And that seemed to really piss him off. He screams a couple of unintelligible words at me. In the meantime, his board is bouncing off the rocks. He retrieves his now battered board and went straight in, packed up his shit and left, much to our complete and utter stoke and happiness. My friends and I still get a good laugh when talking about Baja stories about the time that turd John Peck showed up. Work, Randy. I'm by the way, by the way, I'm the guy who wrote to you about having to deal with Chaz, Chaz's burning up old Bronco in the Surfer Mag parking lot. <laughs> that was also a great story. That was a really good story. Yep, I can really am to this day thankful that I am not in jail or burning down Southern California. We we don't get enough of these. And I thank, what's the listener's name again? Randy. I thank Randy so much for this because all our pros in the wild thus far, I'll say 99% are positive experiences with pros in the wild. I love this straight up negative, ha <laughs> ha, a pro being a dip in the wild. Well, first of all, what is it about people that are like the Zen, you know, like there's such a thin line, people that are pretending to be Zen or exuberantly happy. It's just a thin veneer between ire, rage underneath. You know what I mean? Like anybody who presents as Zen, you should very, you should be very suspect of. Completely. Like, I mean, unless at least be like, be suspect, approach with caution and observe like some people just are right but very yeah. few i think are so just happy-go-lucky in tune whatever you want to say where you know bad stuff comes in and are able to just either laugh it off or roll with the punches or all of that kind of stuff like it's this kind of the uh, this kind of thing right here exactly where it's the seeming the outwardly zen dude who runs into problems and then all of that pent up, the stuff that he's been dealing with just explodes to the surface. Watch out. And that was our last uh, John Peck story too, was he came in hot and heavy at the guy, at the listener. And then the listener, you know, diffused it. And then John was cool as could be, you know, and like yeah. they had a great experience, but John was over the top mad. Um, I guess it is, if you really think about it, it's probably that the ire and the anger is kind of the default position. And so maybe the Zen or the exuberantly happy is trying to mitigate against the the discomfort that they're feeling, you know? So watch out either way, though. Either yeah. this person is deeply uncomfortable and putting on a mask of happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're ready to explode. Well, he, Randy wrote a PS. He said, I should really be showing Peck some grace. After all, he is a legendary pioneer in surfing, but I've surfed with many times with other legends like Mickey Munoz, Margot Oberg, Herbie, Pesman, Kevin Naughton, and all of them were a pleasure to share waves with. So Great, great yeah. little side note. Love it, Randy. Thank you. This story also made me think about, you know, when you're envisioning Peck taking off next to the cliff, getting barreled and getting exploded right up against the cliff how many near misses happen in surfing? 
I have had hundreds of times where I've seen something in the lineup that I was certain was an actual connection, you know, like somebody hitting a peer piling or two surfers hitting one another or a board hitting somebody in the face. And almost every single one of them, they come up and they're like completely fine. Very rarely do you see blood in the lineup, like uh, somebody getting smashed and actually coming up and like just streaming blood. But every single time almost you see something that looks like it would result in permanent damage. Yeah, no, I saw some dude drop in on another dude uh, and almost clip his head on the draw. I thought he did clip his head. I was like, oh, this is going to be like a we're going to have to paddle this dude in. Both popped up. I think one had their board dinged and that was it. It's crazy. Yeah, it's totally crazy how that happens in surfing. So anyways, yeah, good job, Peck, for not uh, dying in yeah. that moment. Okay, let's go um, sober things up a bit. Um, this was an email that came through. It said surf-related emotional dilemma was the title of, or the header of the email. Keith from the Jersey Shore here. I do not know where else to turn. So I'm going to giving you and Chaz a try, Mr. Scales. Maybe this is a barrel or not. Nah. Maybe it's tools to live by discussion, or maybe most likely, and I totally understand, no worries at all. This email is an entire waste of your time, and I apologize for that in advance. But I'm going to give it a shot here, describing a recent surf-adjacent personal experience that I had. News broke recently that one of our longest-standing local, truly core surf shops is done, out of business. It is official. As I type this, the last the shop's last day of retail is upon them. This is not the shop that I use to get my wetsuits, boards, trunks, sun skateboard, and surf supplies, et cetera, because I was actually a surf shop employee in my late 20s at another shop, and this place was our main competitor. But no hard feelings ever. It just simply was not my shop. This shop, however, did serve a local crew with an, a home break out front that's widely known and respected. There's large framed color photos of local heroes at the local peak covering the walls when you first walk in. That mixture of neoprene, resin, van sneaker rubber dominates your senses up and down the main street even before you walk in the store. I could go on here for six more paragraphs describing the glory of this shop and the others around here. But fast forward to yesterday afternoon. I decided to take one of my sons over there even though I remain loyal and supportive to my home shop, of course, there were deals and discounts to be had with the store's closing, and my son needed a new skate helmet. So against my own judgment to never go into any other shop but the one that I support, we went for it. Now, this is not the first shop in our area to go out of business in recent years, but I had the sense of absolute sadness and depression flood my body just three steps in. The photos of the locals are all gone. Hey, big boy. That was Austin interrupting. He knows how to open doors now. Perfect. Um, the photos of the locals are all gone. The boardroom is in the back, packed with surfboards, mid-length, soft tops, had the lights turned off. The walls are bare. Local reps are in the building, but empty display cases where their uh, products lived for decades are now empty banners are on the ground and 
the remaining assortment of all the brands once loved and worn assorted on the final standing rack is at deep discounts. I couldn't even focus on helping my son. Seeing a surf shop, an institution, I've considered my house of worship, dreams and hijinks for most of my life with all of its meat ripped from its bones was and now barren was too much. Haven't felt this way about any building or any type of physical structure since Hurricane Sandy obliterated the Jersey Shore in 2012. I don't know the details about how and why the shop is done, but I sensed it would not be cool to ask the two longtime local women at the counter. As my son and I walked out, I told them how sorry I was to see the shop go. Clearly, they knew I was not one of their longtime customers, and I hope that they knew I was trying to be as respectful as possible. With my son a few steps ahead of me out on the sidewalk, I actually began to cry. Looking once more at those walls of local rippers, uh, looking once more at the walls that those lo local rippers adorned, my son was shocked at my crying, but he said he understood. I'm not sure if I'm okay with myself for sh uh, shedding a tear over a surf shop closing, and I don't even want to fathom my own favorite surf shop that I frequent having this fate ever. I think I'm becoming concerned for all of the local core surf shops in my neck of the woods. It's no secret that the surf, skate, and snow industries ain't what it used to be, but if the entire surf cop shop culture were to die, a part of me dies. Perhaps it's tied with being 49 years old, but this hits real hard and totally unexpectedly. I'm sorry for this to go on so long. If you're even still reading, perhaps just delete and forget, and maybe this or maybe this is a barrel or not crying at the side of a surf shop going under. Maybe it's a tools to live by discussion. Quote, how should an old crusty washed up mid-length depending 60% of the time guy emotionally handle the clothing and shuttering of his local surf shop? Whatever the case, the work has been splendid. Thank you for all you, Chaz and Scott, et cetera. Do Keith from the Jersey Shore. Keith, I stand with you. I give you a nice side hug and <laughs> a appropriate one maybe i'll go all in on keith i'll just just give keith a real hug i mean this is the problem here david lee scales right is he's right like times always change uh the halcyon days surf shop days that we all grew up in of everything the surf shop meant he hit the nail on the head in terms of it's obviously more than just a, a you know a storefront retail operation surf shops were I mean, as evidenced, I think, in or many movies, but Point Break, the movie that everybody's seen, like when Keanu Reeves goes into that surf shop, right? Like it was a ritual. It was a coming of age. It was everything the surf shop meant and was is finished now. Let's just be honest. And those that remain, God bless them, but are nostalgic out outposts that, you know, great. And I hope they all remain right. The ones who are still ticking along, I hope they do, but time has moved on. Shopping has moved on. Amazon has taken over, you know, whatever Costco has stuff like the, the surf shop model. I hate to say it. Yeah. I mean, what is dead, right? What else can we say? It's shifted. I've seen success. So I think what happened was it was an experience. Yes. I mean, there's two things. You're you're right. Um, purchasing things, we needed to purchase things and retail was the way to purchase things when we were young. 
it's gotten way more convenient to have things delivered to our house. So the surf shop cannot compete with that. But the other thing that the surf shop was, was it was an experience. And so the surf shops that I've seen having success nowadays are the ones who have created an experiential retail thing. So like Mollusk, for example, yeah. or I've seen the guys, um, you know, I've seen a couple of shops in France that have like, or Australia is a great example too, where it's a coffee bar. And a surf shop. Surfy, and, surfy, surfy down here in, uh, yeah. yeah, in Lucadio. And with the ones in France and Australia, you can get your haircut there too. And by the way, there's a surfboard factory that's part of the retail shop. So the guy's shaping boards there, then maybe they're laminating the boards there too. So you go and you hang out for the day. And so by, you know, there are transactions with the coffee and things like that, but then you also just buy other things because you happen to be there spending your time there. So I think that is a model that you can transition to if you're savvy enough and you have the capital enough to do then and then have success. But because people still want a place to hang out, you know, like, in fact, I go get coffee every morning and I can make coffee at home, but I go get coffee every morning partially because it's a social experience. I take Austin with me. It's good to get out of the house early, you know. So I would prefer to do it if it was a surf shop. I just happen to live 20 minutes away from the beach and there isn't a surf shop close enough. So I think that retail could transition into that, but I don't like the, you know, like reading this story, I wanted to be like, all right, this is the missive, go out and support retail. But I don't like doing stuff just out of sympathy, you know, yeah. like it's kind of stupid and it wouldn't last. It would only last for one week. You'll go buy a leash locally and feel good about it for one week. It's not going to keep the store in business. No, the, the sentimental buys is not what the surf shop, the surf shop model needs a whole, exactly like you say, a new way of doing things. Yeah. The ones that do exist, I feel, or the, that are continuing to be successful must be doing something right, right? Like they've, this apocalypse came for all and they survived. And so they are clearly doing something right. But yeah, well, so re so I have a deal with Real Water Sports, and it's a retail shop in North down in Oceanside. No, it's in uh, North Carolina, actually, on okay. the Outer Banks. But they're a phenomenal example of creating an experience. They have a full restaurant and bar. They do lessons and camps. They actually built a hotel, so that wow. on their on their property. Let me silence. That's weekend vans texting me to tell me the van is ready. Um, they. Um, built on their property a hotel so you can stay there and do camps and it's on you know the outer banks there's the sound on one side and the ocean on the other side and they happen to be on the sound so you can go right off the dock and do kiting or foiling or whatever it is and then go on the other side you know 300 yards the other way there's actually the ocean and you could do so you can go stay there you can eat dinner there and then the retail experience of course that's where you buy all the gear and stuff so they really figured it out and they'll ship you things as well that's the other thing is cracking the code on shipping will allow you to compete let's say with amazon um and have more specialized product than amazon has but it takes a lot of capital you know what i mean like that isn't it's hard to transition from the local shop on main street that's a thousand square feet into something that competes at scale but and it's hard. I mean, and it's hard too. I think like it is such a love of the thing surfing and appealing to like a, again, a core surf consumer. There's so little of us, David Lee scales. There is not that many, you know, it's a small community, which is what makes surfing great. I think. And we all want it to stay that way. I think is 
a small community, but small communities is hard to make real money out of small communities. Well, especially on Main Street in a coastal community. Mm -hmm. And that's probably what happened with the story from Keith is that rent used to be affordable. And now there's somebody willing, there's a corporate, you know, sprinkles cupcakes or crumble cookies that is willing to pay three times what you can pay for that space. And their product cost is five cents and they're selling the cookie for five bucks. And that's why they can afford it, you know? Transition so. to cookies, surf shops. I mean, that would be a wise, that would be a wise pivot. Cookies. Everybody loves cookies. That's true. So, well, thank you, Keith, for that beautiful. Here's my other thought. Final thought with this is once you accept the moving on part of it and that the economics maybe just don't make sense for that style of surf shop, it feels, I feel honored to have lived in a time where we experienced that thing yeah and, and and i mean and that thing that feeling is bigger than just a surf shop right where i always think how do we transition that thing into other places where it can live where that's what you know i try to do we try to do with beach grit i think is that community again that is you come into this place and you're part of this community that has a tie to the past right where not that moving things digitally is the answer for everything because physical space is still still so essential to what we do uh, or what humans do or what surfers need and all this. But yeah, there is, I think it's good to both be wistful and nostalgic about what we experience, but also, okay, life is moving on. How not yeah. to just live in the past and be the, you know, crotchety dude who's playing records and saying records are so much better than digital downloads. Like where nobody listens to that dude how do you take the essence and move, carry it on giving it to the next generations to carry on yeah completely but when i do see like a film you know from days of yore where it's like people going into the barber shop and getting a straight razor shave or whatever i know that still exists today but like you don't really need it back in the day when that was like the watering hole that was like where you went and talked you know and learned information and it was like a hangout you know like that's cool. It's nostalgic. It's cool. Like I wish I could have done that. I lived wish I lived in that era. We lived in that era for yep. surfing. You know, we did. So now you got shops. Now you got to go to your local wave pool. Yeah, <laughs> to have that experience. So yeah. All right. Well, sad but true. What are you gonna do? Sad what you, but what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Get in the podcast business. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's go to coup commercial break. And then we'll be back with Barrel or Not. This podcast is brought to you by squarespace.com slash surf. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Why? Because launching anything is complicated, expensive, and time-consuming. So learning to code or even hiring somebody to code is a non-starter for most people. So whether you're starting out or managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything from products to content to time Sell it all in one place, all on your own terms. They have flexible templates with designs for every category and use case 
templates that are simple to drag and drop your artwork and logos into, but flexible enough to redesign to your specs. Of course, they have an online store that not only makes it easy to sell physical merchandise, but also digital or service products like podcast subscriptions and paywalled content. And speaking of merchandise, they even offer customizable merch. You design the products and then they handle the production, the inventory, and the shipping and handling. Let Squarespace handle it for you and save you time and money. Oh, and let us save you money. 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Head over to squarespace.com surf for a free trial. And then when you're ready to purchase, squarespace.com surf will save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. squarespace.com surf. factormeals.com surf50. Five zero will save you 50%. Our lives have been made infinitely easier, healthier, and more pleasurable this last month with Factor. Factor sends delicious, nutritionally-minded meals to your door that you simply heat and they are ready to eat. No prep, no cooking, no cleaning. We have 35 different meal options each week, and you can choose as few as six or as many as 18 per week. You can adjust, you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries anytime from week to week. So, you know, just from hearing me on the podcast that I care about food. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I cook, you know that we eat well, and I'm certainly conscientious about nutrition. Factor has filled a gap and created a solution in our life by providing ready-to-go meals. So for a busy day when you don't have time to make a lunch, Factor meals are ready in two minutes. Twice this past week when I didn't have time to prep dinner for my two-year-old and I also didn't want to give him frozen pizza or chicken nuggies once again, he actually shared and ate some of my Factor pasta with sun-dried tomato and pesto and goat cheese one night part of my cilantro, lime, chicken, and rice another night. He loved it. And my wife, by the way, loves the convenience. This has saved her a couple of times this month during lunch when she came home starving and wasn't prepared. And beyond those things, I just love the quality of the food. They also have keto options, calorie smart options, vegan and veggie options. We personally do the chef's choice, which are restaurant quality, but nutritionally minded dishes. Again, it's not a meal kit. It's pre-prepared, ready-to-heat meals. Super simple, solves a problem for us. Oh, and we also get the wellness shots, which are delicious. It's a great bonus, great thing to have on hand, on the go. We will get you two of those free wellness shots and 50% off your first box. Go to factormeals.com surf50. 50% off your first box, but you'll actually get those two wellness shots for free with every box while the subscription is active. Never be in a bind where you make a hasty, poor meal choice like fast food. Instead, eat delicious chef-crafted meals within two minutes by having Factor on hand in the fridge. Factormeals.com surf50. Enjoy. Rocketmoney.com surf. When I cut cable a few years ago, I slowly replaced it with a dozen streaming and subscription services. To be perfectly honest, I lost track of those expenses. Five bucks a month, seven bucks a month, it didn't seem worth tracking initially. 
That was until you multiply that number by 10. And then when my wife and I got married, we realized that we were both in the exact same position. We knew that there was probably three or so that we actually used weekly. We could quickly merge those onto one account, but it turned out that there were another dozen or so each that we were both paying for separately for years without either of us using. And this is precisely what Rocket Money is designed for. It's a modern tool that meticulously tracks the details that we easily get distracted from. Specifically, it's a finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills. It gives you freedom by helping you see your subscriptions in a simple dashboard where everything is tallied in one spot. And where we found it most helpful was in its simplicity. Subscription services can make it intentionally difficult or time-consuming to cancel. Here, you can click on the cancel button in Rocket Money's app and it'll cancel the subscription for you. It simplifies everything. We even got a notification about Netflix's recent price increase before it even happened, just warning us that it was coming. So Rocket Money has over 5 million users. It's helped save members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com surf. Calm the clutter in your head. Simplify the tedium of your financial life. Find freedom through rocketmoney.com surf. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Chaz, we're back from commercial. So good. You know why this show is so good today? Because it's on time. Is that possibly why? <laughs> possibly because we had our AG one. I feel like not only have we been infused by the goodness of drinkag1.com slash surf. I feel like Keith from New Jersey may be on it at this point. Like the listener engagement now 
sharp. is professional. It is so true. It is so true. I mean, nothing sharpens the brains like drinkag1.com slash surf. And uh, solidifies the gut, insulates the gut too. I mean, I'm telling you, talking about this surfing, this being better now, maybe you talked about it, being better now than you were. And we brought up foam and we brought up other things, points of entry. What if all of it is just because you were on a program, David Lee Scales, you were on drinkag1.com slash surf and you weren't when you were 18. You Agreed. are healthier, fitter, finer now than you were in your theoretical prime. Because if yeah, drinkag1.com slash surf, I think extends your prime. Once you get on, you plateau at prime. Immune to the poo-poo touch too. It's so true. What do you do? So last night I got a re resupply and I was pouring the pouch of powder into the canister. Mm -hmm. The plume of green dust is nuts. There's it's, no way to not plume up the entire room. It is really, and like not the plume is, I feel you're putting good pollution into the environment where people should just walk around after you like with straws up their noses trying to snort up the plume from the sky that's what i feel bad about the plume but i don't i stick with the baggie i don't uh deposit baggie into tin i go Smart. straight i go straight out of the bag do you keep the bag in the fridge i keep the bag in the fridge okay yeah yeah good good for you okay yeah well I guess I should skip the step then, the canister step. Pro tip. But you got to, the problem is the spoon, the little plastic spoon that you use to serve up sometimes is buried really yeah. deep yeah. in the bag. And so I could, you got to fish around with a fork in there, which then leads to some plumage. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, there's no finer powder on the planet. I don't know how they ground that stuff so fine, but it like, it really is the finest. It's almost disappears. Yeah. If it gets into the air. Just I mean, that's the best part though. It stirs into your water so perfectly. Yeah. Where there's no, yeah, there's no clumps. Nope. I use a couple of ice cubes in there, even though I'm using cold powder and cold water, I still throw a couple of ice cubes in there just to ensure the full breakup. Wow. Okay. So barrel or knock coming at you. Hustle culture. Uh, are we talking like Deerdick, Rob Deerdick? I get up at 4 a.m. so I can get my hustle on and then hustle, hustle, hustle all the way till hustle, respect my hustle, hustle, hustle. I think, yes, we that's exactly what we're talking about. And I've had this thought recently because I am, I feel like I have hustle culture in my DNA. Like I just wake up with it. But man, I don't think it's the way of the world. I think no. we need time for rest. I mean, the thing here is like hustle culture and what Rob Deerdick is doing, I'm sure is working for Rob Deerdick, uh, obviously. Uh, but the people trying to emulate hustle culture is really spin your wheels culture because you're sitting there Thank in you. neutral, slamming that gas pedal. Uh, and yeah, like nothing, your engine's revving hot, but nothing is... No more is getting done than yeah. if you were like, woke up and said, okay, I got to go to work. Uh, I'm just going to do my work. I'm not going to consider it a hustle. I'm not going to give or provide a mental framework around how my work and my life is all about the work and da, 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 da. Like you're, all you're doing is wasting mental, mental energy of putting your already whatever life into a package of hustle. Because 
not everybody was built for it. We're all built differently. You know what yeah. I mean? And so, but I feel like the Rob Deerdick, clearly a hustler. Um, but there's so many other people like this is the way of the current generation is to aspire to be that and aspire to do that. And it's actually, you'll probably be shamed if your goal in life is to work a nine to five and make a moderate wage and, you know, not want more. Where's your like, hustle? Yeah, exactly. They'll be like, why don't you have a side gig? Well, what are you doing in the morning? Are you working out? Are you going to the gym? Are you, do, you know, like, Except are you filling every moment of your day with productivity? Anything and everything like this. And this is a great tool to live by for our dear listeners brought to you by vayerwatches.com slash surf. Is it? Oh, sorry. It's Vayer. What is it? V-A-E-R. It is vayerwatches.com. Um, vayerwatches.com. Yeah. Okay. V-A-E-R watches.com. Get your Vayer watch along with your drinkag1.com slash surf. It'll help you live that hustle life. But here <laughs> is your tool to live by. Anything that trends is shit. If mm. the word hustle now and a hustle lifestyle and people are writing books or doing podcasts or opening up the hustle life, you know, any, anytime, and I'm saying anytime, any trend is shit. So be it a weight loss trend, be it a work from home trend, be it anything, anything that's trending that is so trending that it's getting a hashtag pivot hard 180 from that. And you will be doing the right thing. So like it. hustle culture is bullshit. It is just, yeah, exactly your point for some people waking up and having four different kinds of things they're doing and a bunch of side hustles and your main hustle and your hustle hustle and your da da da. That's fun, enjoyable for them. And that's the way they work. That is not for everybody. That is for that person. And anybody else trying to do hustle life, live in that hustle life, that's not the life for you. Go figure out the actual thing that where you are at your best. And don't feel guilty or shame about being a couch potato if that is your personal, you know what I mean? Like let's Just, normalize being okay with doing what is whatever. comfortable for you. Yeah. Hold, hold and just hold back too, because there's going to be at any of these hustle trends, anything that trends also falls out of style. And mm -hmm. you can then sit back and make fun of all the people that were on that hustle life. When you're out at your next dinner party, once hustle is no longer the cool thing to do. And you can say, remember all your hustles? Remember when you had your Etsy business and your podcast and your multi-level marketing, multi-level marketing thing. And you were also working and you had no time and all of them failed. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah never exactly. <laughs> and then the one person who's like, no, I just went to work and watched yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Walked my dog. Surfed some. And I was happy. Doing air reverses. I had no anxiety. Yep. I landed that air reverse. Good. Yeah. I'm, I'm down for dismantling hustle culture we're yep. done with it okay here comes one from a listener volume up barrel or nah walking under a ladder not necessarily a daily ladders or whatever the sponsorship was maybe a little giant a diy guy putting up some gutters listening to the show walking under the ladder doesn't bother me one bit Interesting. Superstition. Superstitions in general are fascinating, but let's focus specifically on the walking under a ladder. Here's the thing with superstitions. I think if like, you know, whatever, if you're going out of your way to 
to break superstitions just to prove that they've, you know, that all of this is hoo-ha, that none of it matters. To me, that's like, well, you're, there's like the, uh, the game there, you either lose or it's a, you know, whatever, uh, net, net, net neutral, net yeah. neutral, precisely. Like you either, these superstitions are real and you're, you know, whatever, throwing salt at black cats and breaking mirrors and all the bad stuff. And you're just, you know, tempting, uh, a greater power to say, well, I'm sorry about it. This, some of this stuff is real. So boom, if you are right and there's nothing that's all of these things are just fake, then everything's the same. And you just wasted time doing bad things to the walking under a ladder thing though. There is times and jobs and places where the best, safest, most convenient way around is under the ladder. And totally. so whoever made this one a superstition was somebody, I think, just trying to dick with the, especially the hard blue collar slash home repair population. And I think everybody should actively walk under ladders just to make sure this thing is no longer stigmatized. Because again, it is the oftentimes the best, easiest, most convenient way to move safest agreed i don't understand how some of these things start like i can imagine it was dangerous ladders weren't as steadfast as they are nowadays and so you know if there is construction going on and you walk under it and the ladder slips and falls you get hit by it but what they're saying is it's bad luck to walk under a ladder. Yes. They're not saying it's dangerous to it's walk under a ladder. Something bad might happen to you. They're at, saying you're going moment. to successfully pass under the ladder, but then something will befall you later. Right. It's yeah. like, what? Yeah. How does that even happen? Weird. I'm all about normalizing. Like, let's take walking under ladders out of bad juju land and put I it agree. into the this is just a normal thing that normal people sometimes have to do. I agree. Walk under every ladder you see just to Good. defy. Just to, I mean, I feel that we could, as a community, have enough of a movement where enough people do this, even if it was bad luck. The bad luck givers were going to be, man, we don't have enough like cars to hit people on the street now. So, <laughs> let's just cancel this one. This one's, this one's, it's too much. Agreed. Fly uh, in the face of that bad luck. Exactly. Speaking of ladders, real quick, the, did you read about the Bailey ladder promotion that the World Surf League is doing? You know what? Somebody did screenshot the email and send it to me. I saw it. So I wrote a beach grid story about it, of course. So Bailey Ladders, the, I mean, the fact that World Surf League's main, most vocal sponsor is a ladder sponsorship is, we don't even need to say anything more than that. Uh, the World Surf League's, I'll just state it as a fact, the World Surf League's proudest, most prominent uh, partner is a regional Australian ladder company. We'll just leave that there. Uh, so the promotion is you buy $700 worth of Bailey ladders, and then you write into a website portal, I think, why you love your Bailey ladder, and you and three mates, it says, get flown to... So this is only for Australia, right? Like, I mean, Bailey ladders are not sold as far as I know, outside of Australia. Uh, so you and your three Australian buddies get flown to Margaret, Margaret River, get put up in an Airbnb. Uh, it's not even like we're putting you up in a resort. No, you get put up in an Airbnb. 
you get VIP tickets to the Margaret River competition in the tent. Uh, and you get, I think, $4,400 spending money. Uh, in Visa gift cards. In, in, a, visa, in a Visa gift card. Uh, somebody from Australia wrote on Beach Credit under the story that he just bought a Bailey ladder. It cost him like, you know, a hundred bucks or something like that. He was thinking who, it would be virtually, unless you're a giant company or not, right. giant, unless you're a big construction company or something buying ladders. Yeah. Who's going to buy $700 worth of ladders? No. Who in the world would buy, who, what individual would buy $700 worth of ladders? In my life, I will not spend $700 on ladders. Yeah. Like I, what an arbitrary, weird thing to put. Well, up. the other thing here is you said, if you do that, then you get the trip. No, you get, no, you get to, to win. You enter, which yeah. somebody else said, how many people are actually going to do this? Like how many people are going to buy $700? Like your odds of winning are probably pretty good. If yeah. you do buy $700 worth of ladders, promptly return them. But, you know, because all you have to do is snapshot the receipt. It's not like, yeah. let us see you using your $700 worth of ladders. Uh, buy them, return them very, you know, instantly. Keep the receipt, upload the receipt, write why you love Bailey Ladders. And you're probably in a fairly small pool of people doing this. So Australians, uh, take note. You heard it here. And if you're Australian listener and you do this and you win, please share about it. You will be featured heavily on the episode of the grit that follows the Margaret river contest. Yep. I agree. Game the system. You put in 700 bucks, you get 4,400 back. It's worth and, it. And, and the experience. Yeah. And you don't even have to take the experience. It'd be totally worth the, who wants 44. to go to, yeah, just take the turn $700 into 4,400 like that. This yep. seems like a real, the odds on this again are pretty good. I would say. Pretty good. There's your drinkag1.com slash surf working for you right there. Yep. Hustle, Make, hustle life. Spinning those great ideas. Live that hustle ladder life. You know, um, and walk under the Bailey ladders when you buy them too. Every one of them. Exactly. Okay. Final barrel and all comes from a listener. It says DLS. I was having dinner last weekend at a nice restaurant with my wife and younger son when something happened that made me pause and then later mull over the incident and its meaning. I was cutting into my nicely roasted chicken when I heard the distinct sound of flatware hitting the polished cement floor. My 12-year-old son reflexively began to reach towards the floor for the knife that he had just dropped. I cut him short. Just leave it, I said. He looked at me, and I suddenly felt uncertain in my heart. His instincts were correct, I thought. Good kid. Nevertheless, these instincts should be overridden for the sake of hygiene and maybe also decorum. This may also go to the heart of something bigger. Regardless, after it happened, I thought, I know exactly who needs to weigh in on this important matter. DOC is the signature. Great. He's right. Uh, and so I'm assuming the barrel or not is eating with flatware slash silverware that has fallen onto the floor. That's what I am assuming as well. Okay. I'm going to say here, a barrel, David Lee Scales. I'm going to say in general, we modern humans, we modern first world creatures, most people listening here, I would think are of that varietal. Uh, our lives are way too sanitized. Between the amount of 
hand sanitizer itself that people are using, like this whole post COVID thing about spraying everything down with antibacterial, this, that, and the other thing. I'm going to say you are doing no one a favor by keeping ultra clean. Any bits, and if you're doing this on purpose, that's, you know, it's like hustle life. That's too much to think about. But anytime you can get a little extra something, something in the system, does your body good, man. Your body's going to, your kid, that knife got nothing on it. Let's be honest. Or it got maybe a little bit of poo, dog poo from the shoe. It, it got something on it, but nothing that will kill you. A little bit. And if we learned anything from the original idea of vaccines, it is, hey, let's give a little bit of poison and let the body do the rest, right? Exactly. You are giving that boy a little bit of poison. Body's going to do the rest. That boy is going to grow up strong. Yep. If and when all of this ends, the apocalypse arrives and we're all drinking out of mud puddles, uh, your boy's going to be drinking out of that mud puddle just fine. You, on the other hand, tell him to leave it on the ground, are going to get cholera and die. <laughs> I completely agree. The only time I ever don't use or even eat something that a piece of food that fell on the floor is out of a social norm. Yeah. I'm in a restaurant and other people saw it happen. And I'm just it, like, oh, I don't want to look like a weirdo. So I'm just going to not. Totally. Use it. But if I am by myself, I will literally like a crow could try to steal the piece of popcorn I dropped. I will fight that crow, take it Pop out it of his mouth. mouth and put it back in my mouth. I totally agree entirely. The one thing I will recommend uh, is if the knife had not been used yet, like if it's not greasy or, you know, or the fork or whatever, uh, a good habit to get into is giving it a quick wipe on your t-shirt before then diving back in. That's like all you need right there. A I'm not opposed to that. Not as if your t-shirt's any cleaner. Back in. <laughs> yeah. Your t-shirt that you don't wash every no. time you wear is probably Precisely. not much cleaner, but Precisely. But again, yeah. healthy future. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. This is just practical, you know? You're, you are exactly right. Every time, if I'm at home, fork on the ground, uh oh, grab it, pick it up, start eating again. If I'm at a restaurant, fork on the ground, damn. Yeah. Everybody exactly. at this table is going to think I'm a weirdo. I know. And that's a whole different line of discussion that we can incorporate into future yep. shows is just like all the weird stuff we do simply because we it's think somebody might to be do. watching. Imagine, to, be per to be perfectly honest, nobody would care. Nobody's watching that closely and nobody would care. If I saw another table drop a fork and then pick it up and use it again, I would actually be like, huh. Uh, cool. I would think badass. that too, but, but there would be so many tables in there would be looking like that subtle observation. I, I totally hear you in life. We all think that everybody's watching and everybody's caring. You're exactly right that A, nobody's watching, B, nobody cares, no. except it's like, it's that kind of thing of picking a knife up or a fork up off the floor and using it in a restaurant where that's what people get somehow their social spidey sense of. They're like, ooh, look at that person. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's but got no, nothing better to do. We should, we should band together though. Us like floor fork eaters should band together and have each other's backs. Like if we see that in a restaurant happening, somebody drops fork, picks it up, eats, we should applaud. You okay. go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Don't cancel that person that ate off the ground. Nope. We stand in solidarity. Solidarity. Exactly. Dust some AG1 on it. Brush Pop it right off. In. You're good. You're good to go. All right. Well, hey, another great show. I'm off.
to pick up my weekend van. I will see you in a few hours if you are home. I'll be home. You text me. I'll make myself available. Okay, sweet. Maybe I'll film it, share it with the listeners. Great. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, cool. Uh, Beachgrit.com at Surf Journalist is where you find Chaz. At Surf Splendor is where you find me. Engage, share with your friends. That is how we grow. Uh, we're giving away that Exo Cocoa board today. I oh, already, what? yeah, I already ran the wheel of names. So we have a winner. winner. We have a winner, but I need to email them, make sure that you know they can take delivery and all that, and then I'll announce it publicly later today. Do we have a do we have another board coming next month, David Lee Scales? We do, and I'm waiting to lock in details with that shaper, but yes, we do. And but, every month throughout the year. So on that note, though, dear listener, if you subscribe, that's yep. how you get uh entered to win these boards. Subscription is five bucks a month. It is not a big amount of money to you. It is everything to poor David Lee Scales and I. Exactly. Us working multiple jobs, working that hustle life. Your $5 is a brick in the foundation of, of the hustle our life. business. It, it really is. All right. So thank you for that. Go to surfsplendorpodcast.com to set up support. It'll take you less than a minute. You can cancel at any time. It goes a long way. All right. All right, Chaz. Until next week. Keep working.